This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Now it's time to enter into a world of innovation, a world of human struggles, heartbreak, and achievement. And most of all, a world of wonder. Welcome to CT Startup. All right. Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is going to be another uh, episode of CT Startup Podcast. Uh, this is Eric Francis from Trifecta Ecosystem. Dave Bernard from Arthur Kalina. And uh, this is going to be a, a fun episode because uh, we get to throw it back, but also bring it forward uh, with uh, introducing my uh, two uh, partners at Trifecta Ecosystem, Spencer and Kieran. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Yeah. yeah. Excited yeah. to be back. Yeah, yeah. So this, <laughs> this is basically an update on um, Trifecta Ecosystems. You always hear it in the uh, opening um you know, uh, what is it, monologue, epilogue, yep. whatever we want to call it, um, <laughs> of us talking, yes, uh, <laughs> about our, you know, what I do on a day-to-day basis. And, uh, you know, Spencer and Kieran are here to talk a little bit more about it. So uh, I, I just want to say, I feel very outnumbered. <laughs> you do, uh, as I, you I, should, as I, you should. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put my headphones down and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just do what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> Trifecta's taking over the podcast. Screw you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I hope Dave's going to be asking a lot of questions as our, uh, both as our lawyer and as a, the host, but... Uh, yeah, so so take it off, guys. Yeah, Spencer, if you want to give a quick update on like where we've been, because it's been what about a year and a half, two years almost, I think. Since, crazy, to, since crazy since to say two yeah. years about, about that, but uh, yeah, what's go, what's yeah. been going on? Kind of dr- drop the, drop the bombs. All right, so <laughs> let's see. Compressing two years into a few sentences. Um, we've come a long ways. We have uh, built out our first indoor farm uh, in Meriden, Connecticut. So. Uh, you know, stop on by and see uh, an indoor aquaponic farm. Two ninety um, Pratt Street. Yeah. Thank you, Karen. That's why. Uh, that's why I gotcha. Um, so uh, since then, uh, we've been growing rapidly. You know, we've been uh, expanding our systems out through schools and with other organizations across the state. Uh, and I am very happy to also talk about the investment we received uh, money, from money, 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 money. <laughs> money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was very, very exciting. Super grateful um, to the uh, South Central Regional Water Authority of Connecticut, um, or the RWA as we call them, uh, in the house. Um, they were, uh, we worked with them over the last, uh, year, year and a half, uh, to put this deal together. Um, and yeah, so we have a kind of this interesting deal of a convertible line of credit type of deal, which is maybe interesting to your listeners looking for interesting ways to do a round of financing for themselves. Uh, kind of a combination of a convertible note, which is a loan that can be Converted into equity down the road should the uh, should that work out that way, uh, but it's actually structured instead of a loan as a line of credit. So we're not beholden to the total sum should we not choose to take all of it, um, and RWA doesn't need to put it all down on the line um, right on right off the bat, and we can kind of draw down on this uh, pool of money as we see fit. So that's been very exciting, helping to fuel our growth. So, you know, last time we were on here, I think it was the three of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Know, the three yeah. of us, yes. <laughs> so we're up to uh, eight total employees with uh, also a handful of interns, which have been helping to fuel all this growth. And uh, it's been a really exciting past, uh, I guess, past two years. <laughs> so, yeah. so when you say you get your systems spreading across the, you know, the state in different, in different places, 
What do you mean by your systems? Because you guys have expanded from just creating. I mean, the, the original part was we're creating aquaponic systems and then selling them and installing them. But yeah. that's that's you've done a lot more than that. So that's right. What we're really looking to do here, uh, both in Connecticut and eventually across the nation, is uh, really create the city that feeds itself. And we see that not coming from. That sounds like a trademarkable phrase. You know, as our lawyer, uh, you heard, yeah. heard it here on the air. Uh, so timestamp that. Um, but uh, so the, it, it's more than just a, a trademark kind of phrase. It, it's a real mission that we're on. And uh, we it's a vision we have of cities that can feed themselves, that provide a, a, a meaningful amount of their own food for them, their own populations, and becoming less reliant on um, our long-distance kind of uh, food system. And we don't see that happening from the one or two major producers in any city, but rather a distributed system of production happening on a small, medium, and large-scale uh, scale. <laughs> and Doing so, so having urban food production in combination with the existing suburban and rural food production, you can create an actual food sustainability uh, or food sustainable city. So to your question, uh, what do we do? Uh, we work with uh, people who are already living in cities. Uh, we call them hidden farmers because they're already in the city. And we're helping them to grow meaningful amounts of food using technology like aquaponics, like indoor farming, like controlled environment greenhouses uh, so that they can do farming in cities in this new type of arable land that you know didn't exist 50 years ago but now with these technologies these urban uh, you know urban buildings and urban uh, landscapes become farmable land and so our business is centered around or centered on helping these uh, organizations who are doing educational or therapeutic or workforce development activities or just social activities in general, uh, connecting to their communities, we help them use food as a vehicle for that activity. So we you know, uh, install systems in classrooms so teachers can use it as an educational tool uh, across a huge variety of topics. Uh, you know, all your science, technology, engineering, and math topics but ranging up up to entrepreneurship uh, and social studies and many other things can be taught using these living ecosystems. Uh, and then we have other groups um, working with uh, disadvantaged uh, populations who um, are using these systems in a, either a therapeutic or a workforce development type of setting where they're learning real job skills and they are actually learning on the farm how to do this farming and also entering the workforce because of the kind of executive functionings that they're learning on the farm. So that's my answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, and just to pro provide a little context to, to why and behind the mission. Um, so like the UN predicts that by 2050, over 80% of the population is gonna be living in an urban environment. And they also predict that will be over 10 billion people by 2050. So what we have is a large scale of urban sprawl we're seeing already that um, our traditional agriculture sources are facing destruction from environmental scarcity, um, from things like um, you know our current farming practices are degrading soil and, and things like that. So we have a situation where we have a lot of people who are going to be coming on the planet soon. Um, they're going to be living in urban environments. That's where the demand for food is going to be, and we're going to lose the capacity to be able to feed these people. So how do we get ahead of that problem and that situation? 
Well, we have a lot of people that are already living in cities, like Spencer mentioned, our hidden farmer groups, who have the capability and the capacity to start growing food and providing for their community, but who don't necessarily need to do it from a commercial standpoint or a commercial venture. So if we can empower these people to hit their goals and their missions through farming and be able to contribute to feeding their community and their society, then we're going to get ahead of this issue that we're going to face where how do we feed one point? Five billion people who are coming in in the next 20 to 30 years. Um, so by empowering hidden farmers and addressing the mission of the fact that like cities are both the, the problem and the solution of, of the context of food ecosystems in the future, we can, we can sort of get ahead of that problem. We can take advantage of the fact that, you know, we, we are going to be providing food for people in cities that is cleaner, better, and more sustainable than what we're currently doing in, in a rural environment. And it's not about taking away the rural environment. It's about cooperating with them and empowering the fact that there are certain things that are better grown in cities. There are certain things that are better grown in fields. Let's collaborate and work towards s sustaining, you know, these next 10 billion people that we got to feed. I, I, I think that's great. That's very noble. You're killing me here. <laughs> because you're taking away all my meat. <laughs> no, we're not. no, we grow fish. I mean, protein yeah. is a part of, of a true. sustainable ecosystem. Well, I, it's you know, and urban environments like you know, you gotta you gotta provide a protein source. Not all of us are gonna convert to a plant based diet. It's not even good for most people to convert to a plant based diet. So how do we provide that sustainable and desirable protein source? Urban aquaponics is one of those solutions. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting because certainly, I mean, one of the biggest environmental problems is actually, you know, sort of pig and cow farming, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it, and, uh, you know, we just had that horrible uh, hurricane that hit uh, North and South oh, Carolina. Yeah, and you got all that and literal... It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it literally flowed all that crap into rivers, yeah. um, all, the, all that pig crap, and then, and then it killed millions of chickens. Yeah. Uh, and, and just... <clears throat> and and our, our you know massive factory farming of animals is it's difficult because it has a lot of different impacts and well I, I think one interesting idea uh, that kind of comes out of creating more food uh, production in cities is you can stop producing certain foods in those rural suburban areas like lettuce or, or similar things to that which frankly do much much better in controlled environments which can be in cities and opening up all that land now unlocks it for more sustainable methods of meat farming across the board, where actually you can have very sustainable methods of, you know, cow farming or what have you, if you don't need to force them into such a small confined area. Mm -hmm. But if you actually have more farmland open available to you, you actually can get those looking just purely economically, you can get those premium grass fed prices and not have to struggle by selling lettuce by lettuce by lettuce. Um, so that I think is one of the positive externalities of starting to produce food in cities. And I think across the board, you're gonna find similar types of synergies and efficiencies coming out of that. Yay, bacon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I will have to say is that I think one of the other things that we, we need to mention and kind of a lot of other companies can get out of is that when, we, when you guys were on the podcast last, right, and we were talking, it's like, it was Fresh Farm Aquaponics. It, we were an aquaponic yep, farming true. company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, another update. Yeah. We changed our name <laughs> to Trifecta Ecosystems. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was a long time yeah. ago. So, um, so Chris, if you're uh, Chris, oh, yeah, producer, yeah, exactly. if you're out there listening, you have that's to change your name. You have to yes. change your name and stick to it. That's yeah. a company that actually changed its name. <laughs> and they announced what the name was. <laughs> exactly. Um, but one of the big things was that um, we, you know, we changed from just being an aquaponic farming company to uh, an agricultural company and a food ecosystem company, or at least we always saw ourselves 
as that, but that's not how we were represented. And it's actually interesting. On the way down here, I was listening to a, uh, a debate on the Joe Rogan podcast with a, uh, a vegan and a, and a meat, you know, guy. And they're they're scientists. They're going their thing. And one of the big um, things that they want they like put out like right from the beginning was that okay, we're gonna first agree on that nobody ha- like there's no diet for everybody. Everybody is different. Everybody mm-hmm. reacts to food differently, and so forth and so on. And different countries, every food ecosystem is different. And that's the thing is that, you know, aquaponics is just a piece of the food ecosystem, right? Traditional ag is a piece of it. And so, yeah, we, you know, in cities, we can thrive with leafy greens. You can do that, right? But that doesn't mean that's the full package. Yeah. And so that that's one thing that um, sometimes gets misconstrued with hydroponics, aquaponics, is that we're competing. It's the only way. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we just came from a conference. Where we're like, we're a piece of the puzzle, right? Yeah. So, so that, that, that's one of the big things I feel like. Sometimes companies don't evolve to where their aspirations want them to be, and so they kind of get they kind of get pigeonholed. Which I will have to say, over the past couple of years, I feel like we've done pretty well with. But you know, <laughs> that's a that's a biased viewpoint. <laughs> so I think yeah, just to that point, very briefly, aquaponics is one technology we utilize on our mission to create the city that feeds itself. It's definitely a major one. I mean, we have spent quite a bit of money creating an indoor aquaponic farm. But aquaponics is just one of the technologies on that farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's many other underlying technologies that are required to create a city that feeds itself. Including, I imagine, must be sustainable energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, having an indoor farm, frankly, only works as well as it's powered. Yes. And, you know, you need energy that's going to be continually sustainable in order to make that work without creating additional demand on a already sort of weak structural system. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that is, I think, a critical underlying need of getting this industry up and off the ground. I think there's a couple of similar critical underlying needs that need to be addressed. The cost of energy is one which we've seen, you know, is starting to be affected by renewables, uh, which is very exciting. Connecticut is the word is like what the third highest in the country, I think. Like yeah. That? So yeah. after you know, after Alaska and Hawaii. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if you can make the model work here, you can pretty much expand it anywhere. <laughs> That's a good but, way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, we like know, at the bright side of things. At, at, the, at the end of the day, we are replacing the sun, and that is an expensive thing to do. Um, so, you know, uh, as technologies improve, the efficiency of lighting and things like that improve, the efficiency of solar um, and the ability to capture and store energy improves. It just makes our modern model more and more sustainable. But that is the hurdle that we have to overcome. Um, and sort of what we're trying to showcase to the industry as possible is that even though you know we're, we're controlling the environment and sort of putting the ecosystem into a container, it's still sustainable. In fact, in some cases, it's a lot more sustainable than doing it the old way, which was fields and tractors and transport and storage. Um, there's a, people don't realize, but there's a lot of energy that goes into transport and storage. And if you t- remove those factors and transfer it to growing locally and delivering locally, you can actually save and in some in some cases improve the sustainability of what you're doing. Yeah, I think an interesting uh, thing for uh, anyone out there who wants to look at this as uh, an economic model over time is I believe it's called Heights's law. It's kind of the it's the corollary to um, Moore's law. It's the efficiency of LED growth over time uh, in terms of energy efficiency to output in uh, in lumens. And it is going up and up faster than Moore's Law has been going up for, what, 30, 40 years. So that is one of the major economic indicators that I see to making this uh, industry sustainable. Um, Going along with that is renewable energy. It's not just our lights that need to uh, 
that we need to power. We're powering heating and cooling and uh, pumping and air blowing and all these other things. So there's always going to be an energy draw. So renewables is a huge piece of that as well. Um, but I think those all affect the growth of the industry, which in turn it ha- creates a self-fulfilling uh, cycle as more people join. The cost of goods goes down and because the purchasing power of the industry goes up. The uh, components for these systems, which are currently pretty expensive because they're not selling tons of them in a sort of, uh, you know, like a commodity item. Once it gets down to that level, you're going to see this proliferate everywhere. It is going to offer people a sustainable, not crazy level uh, of work to provide a, a sustainable income for themselves. And I think it's kind of a no brainer that people are starving for something like that. And what we've seen and experienced firsthand as farmers feeding our community, it's a very fulfilling type of job. So you might be willing to take maybe not a huge salary you'd get as some executive or something like that. You get a nice, healthy, sustainable salary and the ability to contribute to your community and essentially live and thrive within your community. Um, I think that kind of excitement is something people are looking for in a really fundamental way right now. And as we see these economic factors affecting the ability for the industry to grow, those two things are going to smash together and you're going to see this whole thing bloom, uh, to use a a corny pun. So we've talked a lot about growth in terms of plant growth and and methods and and techniques. What about distribution? So let's say I want to be part of the city that feeds itself and I decide to put it on aquaponic a farm in my basement mm-hmm. and uh, and I start gr- or wherever and I and I start growing uh, more amounts than, than I can use yeah how do I get that in the hands of other people so that's pretty much exactly our starting story is we grew for ourselves and ended up with too much and started to sell it and we figured that's gonna be a pretty common problem as people start doing these systems and what we found as we started building systems for our clients is not only are they not really farmers, but they're not—they're definitely not salespeople or marketers. So what um, what we do, for example, is actually help aggregate produce from clients and move it through our distribution system, which is a local. And Kieran will speak to this in a minute. Is a, a local, um, uh, for lack of a better term, it's a community-supported agriculture. But I don't want to take uh, words out of Kieran's mouth. <laughs> um, so basically, what I'm saying is. Part of the city that feeds itself is modernizing the traditional farm cooperative. Uh, Many, many local producers working together to create a scaled buying and selling uh, power is what the future holds. And that's kind of our business model right now is empowering not only the producers to get producing, but also empower them to then sell as a team, as a cooperative into the market as a major uh, buying and selling force. Yeah, and just to, to hop in and jump on that. So currently, our, our current paradigm is we, we sell through a program that we call Weekly Harvest. Um, if you were to put an analogy to it, it's kind of like a localized Blue Apron. Once a week, you get a bunch of raw ingredients, um, and we provide emails and instructions on how you can utilize those ingredients in your home to cook healthy meals. Um, and it's all stuff that we grow, but it's also stuff that we aggregate from other local producers. So again, this isn't limited to just aquaponics, and this is where the cooperative play comes in with other local producers. It's it's the best of what's grown in your local community in that season, aggregated for you in a way that you can use and consume it. So, um, you know, 
just to to get the plug really in there right now um you know weekly harvest is a is a monthly program um it's it's 80 bucks a month 20 bucks a week um you know you come to the farm you pick everything up on monday um and then you have everything you need for the week for for healthy salads healthy meal preparation um and, and you know what you're going to use so you know this is sort of the paradigm that our clients can can buy into um, you know, if they want uh, an avenue where they can, you know, take their produce and put it back into the food ecosystem, they plug into the weekly harvest program. Um, you know, we we basically buy the produce back from them and then sell it through through the weekly harvest. And this is as as we scale, this is the option that people have if they don't want to go through their own route to through their own sales channel. Now they're not required to do that. If you want to become your own producer and become the sales guy have at it you know we're more than supportive of that we we need people who are who are definitely you know finding other avenues of revenue as well but you know that safety net is there for our clients and people who want to get into aquaponics or or growing in their own community is that we have this this sales channel established and set up the marketing behind it the 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 customers on the back end that if you want to get into providing food for your own community and contribute to the city that feeds itself from a producer standpoint you, you have the safety net of knowing, you know, where your produce is going to go. Yeah. I mean, that, that's been part of the whole build out with the indoor farm, right? Yeah. Like that, that's part of our journey is, I mean, we're finishing up our commercial kitchen now and our kind of aggregation, you know, uh, facility. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a journey where, uh, again, we went from aquaponic farmers to, again, kind of food ecosystem developers, because this is one of the big aspects that we saw. I mean, Blue Aprons, the um, the um, what are the HelloFresh, those companies. I mean, there's there's so many out there now where it's kind of incredible, and so um, you know that that last mile. And I think what what Amazon's doing and uh, what we, we've all seen with that, um, the last mile is like is like the inter- is 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 the most interesting right now. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we're weekly harvest. We've seen it. We've seen our members um, <laughs> what they do with our stuff as we've seen um, and the recipes that they come up with and the stuff that they share is even just just as good as probably even better than what we, we put out to them yeah so. no it's it's super inspiring to see people sort of um, you know get get really motivated to to cook with what's provided by their own local community and get inspired by the fact that um, you know this is what we have to work with locally and by contributing and getting you know and sharing those recipes you know with other members of weekly harvest it's it's inspiring the paradigm of, of a true local food ecosystem that's changing the way food is is being consumed um, towards a more sustainable model that is going to be able to scale with us as as we grow so you know um, shout out to our members um, you know they're they're awesome they're they're constantly inspiring us to keep going um, and you know reinforcing the mission that you know not only is this something that's good for the planet but it's good for the people too um, and you know it's something that's desired out there I, uh, I think you guys have a whole nother revenue stream you haven't thought of which uh, of which is I'm a <laughs> rabbit owner I do need weekly green supplies oh, yeah. to keep the rabbits comfy. Which you're probably going to share. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be delivering to New Haven soon. Uh, so, so, you know, and that's actually probably a pretty good segue. You know, we're out here at the drive in the district in New Haven. Um, you know, currently our weekly harvest is offered in Meriden, but... Um, you know, depending on when this podcast comes out, let's just assume November for anyone who wants to, um, you know, November, you're entering into that winter season. That's usually when local produce dries up. That's the benefit of us being aquaponics farmers. We're here year round. Um, you know, if you're interested, um, you know, hop on to tryaffecttheecosystems.com. There'll be a pop-up that pops up immediately when you get there that asks you to join Weekly Harvest, and that's the easiest way to do it. <laughs> so, so, so you said it's $80 a month? Yeah. Yep. So you could do like a $40 a month rabbit option? 
I feel like they eat more greens, not less. Greens. <laughs> <laughs> but I will, I will say, you know, talking about, you know, this probably will come out sometime in November, um, early November. But um, you know, like we're we're a year old or a year into growing, right? Like actually, yeah. and and like our weekly harvest members, which one we we don't have any like drops. We we've only had a few people kind of leave, and they left because they're gardeners themselves, right? Yeah, and yeah. their gardens are gonna you know come <laughs> back around, and that's the interesting part about us is that we can start in the winter and go through the winter. Um, and so you know, yeah, I mean you know we're in November will will literally be the one year anniversary of our weekly harvest program. We I just saw the uh, thank you Facebook for reminding me, but our first plant went in on September twenty sixth, um, you know two thousand seventeen at our facility in Meriden, and our first harvest was in November, and that's when the weekly harvest program started. Um, and you know it just goes to show like that's that's sort of our our value proposition is that you get you know the, what you've been experiencing over the summer you can get that all winter long you know by by supporting this program we still work with other local producers to provide stuff that we don't grow uh even through throughout the winter time so it's great <laughs> well i absolutely think that's fantastic i still like my subscription to the bacon of the month club but uh no and we're not here to replace that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never know what might come down the pipeline yeah yeah uh, the lettuce of the month club it really could work uh yeah, that's no. i'm not sure if you're doing. familiar with yeah. breakfast salads this breakfast. is a new tr- this is a new trend but they're very bacon friendly <laughs> <laughs> i actually i really do think this is absolutely fantastic uh everything that you guys have done i've i've known you uh for many years now um and be- before you were even fresh farm uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's been interesting. You've been the fly on the wall since from the conception stage all the way through, you know, to where we are now. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, that's an interesting perspective. For that's actually that. the nicest anybody's ever called me time. Anybody's used the term fly on the wall to apply to me. So, yeah, I think it's fantastic. I'm glad you guys uh, were able to come on here today. Um, I mean, we're always happy to have Eric, but it's nice to have some other voice besides Eric to talk about. Yeah, and I will have to say is that um, the, the three of us uh, have definitely benefited from the ecosystem uh, in many different ways, whether it be the accelerators, the mentorship, just the, the overall connecting. And, um, you know, we're definitely at the stage of our business where we can give back more, you know, kind of give insight and stuff like that. And we, we've helped the different pitch competitions and so forth. Um, any other, obviously, we're, we're very motivated to talk to any other food entrepreneurs or, um, you know, organizations that want to do more in the food ecosystem. Um, so please reach out to any of us. Um, it's either Eric, E-R-I-C, Spencer, and, uh, or Kieran, and we'll put their, their number, uh, their stuff in there, too. You can reach out to us. Um, if you want to uh, connect about anything uh, local food ecosystem-wise. Um, and Spencer, we're looking for a few organizations, right, to, to kind of uh, connect with as well? That's right. If anything we said uh, struck you, uh, struck your fancy and kind of energized you, we're looking, uh, we have room for about three organizations looking to uh, start an A-farm or a, 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 an aquaponic farm project. Um, please reach out. Uh, Spencer at trifectaecosystems.com, like Eric said, It'll be in the show notes. Reach out. Let's grow some food together. And uh, as long as everybody's putting in a plug, I, I don't want to be left out. So. Oh, you can't because <laughs> we're at the law lab right That's now. That's right. right. Yeah. Mar- Martha Kalina has, has officially opened the law lab at District New Haven. 
Uh, it's literally the first office on the right as you enter district. It's true. And uh, it's a you know it's a collaborative workspace. It's not a series of offices. Uh, and the whole goal is to have people come in, feel free to ask questions, get to meet us, as well as work from there. If uh, if somebody needs a space to work from for a day and they're gonna be meeting with other people at the district, uh, our space can be made available if you let us know in advance. Um, and we really. Uh, we really want to encourage and build a community. We've been working with the community for years. We believe in building communities, and this is just another way to try to continue to do it in addition to the podcast. Mm -hmm. So, stop by. Uh, and if uh, anyone, uh, you know, while we're, while we're giving out plugs, if anyone wants to join Weekly Harvest, again, uh, trifectaecosystems.com. Um, you know, there'll be a pop-up there for, for how you can join Weekly Harvest. If you have any questions or you want to reach out, um, there's also a chat box that pops up, um, you know, goes to all three of our cell phones, um, like a text message. So reach out. Um, you know, we're, we're happy to collaborate. We're happy to discuss. We're happy to help in any way we can in, in sort of establishing this food ecosystem. We stay up late and we get up early, so reach out anytime. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. We would like to thank both Sublime Exposure Online and Mirtha Kalina for providing resources and space to CT Startup, which make this show possible. See you next week.